Wow, what would we do without the Lord? I don't even like thinking about that. <laughs> Moses was fixing to go in the promised land and God's had it. And the Lord says, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and give you the promise, but I ain't going with you. And I think sometimes the Lord puts us in positions to see what we will do when it comes to choosing Him or choosing the promise that He's put on our life. And in this instance, Moses made the declarative statement that, God, if you don't go, I don't go. That he would rather stay in the wilderness and chaos if it meant God being with him than he would enter the place of the promise without the presence of God. And this is the grand test of the Lord in this hour that we are in is will we choose God or will we choose an easy route? And this is where we were all at. We're being pulled from every side, perplexed, and, and all kinds of things. We're confounded. We're confused. One minute we think we're reaching the end of something, and the next minute we found out that we hadn't even started. And you're just left in this position to where you wonder, God, what does it all even mean? And I think there's a place that we get to in the Lord to where we quit trying to find meaning to things. We're just waiting to sense His presence. Because Daniel could be in the lion's den and be okay. Why? Because he could sense God's presence there. That I'd rather be in the lion's den with God's presence than I had be uh, the king's cupbearer in the cushy, comfortable place. That the presence of God must so mark our heart, must so make its indelible entry into our life that nothing else matters but His presence. That the presence of God would have its supreme, preeminent place in our life that we would be so marked by it that when it wasn't there, it would bother us no matter how, many, how much good things were happening to us. That many times we're disconnected from the Lord. But as long as everything's going all right, we don't care. But when things go bad, we're like, where's God? What that did revealed the idol in our heart. That instead of the presence of God, and instead of relationship with the Lord, we'd rather have things just go our way. And this is the place that God is taking us to. He's wanting us to find His presence, feel His presence, and seek His presence. And I know there's times to where despair enters our heart. I know there's tough times, right? Like times get tough sometimes. And so what I want to talk to you today about generally is that can you see through the tears to the better day in the prophetic voice of tomorrow that God would have for you? Can you see through those tears and hear the voice of the Lord even in the toughest places of your life to begin to declare a better day? 
Because if the sadness of God, if the sadness enters our heart, if despair enters our heart, uh, hope deferred makes the heart sick. If our heart gets sick with hopelessness, what will be the words coming out of our mouth in that day? See, a lot of us are prophesying out of a sick heart. And we're just self-fulfilled prophecies because we're speaking hopelessness and hopelessness and hopelessness. And then guess what we reap? We reap hopelessness. And see, I told you. But that was a self-fulfilled prophecy. You're just living out of the reality of your heart. You have to get to the place where you're trusting God and what He's doing. you got to get to the place that no matter how it looks like or what the circumstances are, that you're in a position to see and hear the voice of the Lord to the better day that's coming in your life. I was watching a documentary, and this guy was in space. He's an astronaut. I think it's called One Strange Rock. And there was no gravity. He was in his suit. And since there was no gravity, his tear didn't drop. His eye began to water, fill up where he couldn't see, and the tear, instead of dropping, went into the other eye, And filled up the other eye. And he's talking to NASA and he says, I'm blind, I can't see. They're thinking something major's went on, so they're trying to walk him through and say, here's what's happening. And all it was, was the fact he was in a place where there was no gravity. See, there's a reason why tears are supposed to fall. There's a reason why tears run this way. It's because there is a season for crying, but it can't be the only season that you're ever in. That there has to be a place in your life where that tear falls and you begin to get fresh vision for the next day that you have in your future. Because we've all had pity parties, right? Come on. You ever just whine to God? Oh, I ain't getting that way, man. <laughs> man. Look like you took a shot of lemon juice or something. Face off. We've all done that. It's kind of like when you're in a storm and it's raining so hard you can't see. Do you ever wish there was another speed on those wipers, like supersonic? You're like, man, if it was just a little bit faster, I could. Is that there comes a time we have to just wipe those tears away and go on with God. Your whole life can't be a sob story. You've got to be able to see past the circumstance you're in and trust the Lord. You can't be defined by your pain. It's real. You've got to acknowledge it. You've got to embrace it. You've got to seek your healing. But you can't let it define who you are and live out of that place. You just can't. My daughter was using a chair as a slide. And uh, I think she only creates games in which she can be hurt. <laughs> so she took this chair. If 
first she's surfing on it. That's her new thing, try to surf on everything in balance. Well, then it went down, and she saw that it made a little slide, so she started sliding down it. And so she fell, and, and she busted her lip. And I'm in there watching TV, and then I just see this, my daughter. And, and, you know, when you just see a lot of blood, you don't really know what's happened. You're just like, assume the worst. And so she just comes in front of me, and I'm just sitting there watching TV, and then just like this little girl like just steps in front of my vision and is like, oh, and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's blood everywhere. And she busted her lip, and her lip started to swell, but we got the bleeding to stop, give her some Tylenol, kind of settled her down. And so as her lip started to, to swell up, I said, man, I said, look at you, busted lip girl. I said, I'm going to start calling you busted lip girl. And she said, Dad, I'm still me. <laughs> She's like, don't define me because I fell down one time and busted my lip. I'm still me. And I want to encourage you that there's still you down inside there. There's still you down inside there somewhere. And God's going to draw it out. All right, let's look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21. I'm going to start with one verse today. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21. And this is Jacob in a certain time in his life where he's called together his sons and the sons of Joseph, and he's calling them together to prophesy over them. And as he's blessing his sons, he's, he's dying in Egypt at this time. This is what the word of the Lord says. Hebrews eleven twenty one. By faith, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. Bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. And there's something to note here about this moment with Jacob. And I love the story of Jacob because there's so many twists and turns in his life that you really, the way it ends, the story ends, it could be considered discouraging if not for this moment. Like, if it ends without this moment of blessing sons, it really ends in a really sad and terrible way. There's another verse in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13 that says this, These all died in faith not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. I think that's an element that we've lost as the church, as pilgrims and sojourners. That some of us, most of us, all of us, are really just passing through. And when we put our roots down too tight 
and forget about the life that is to come and the promises that are bigger than our life, many times the promises in our heart can die within us and not make it out to the next generation. And they say, what's the richest place in America? I say the graveyard. Because how many dreams died there and never succeeded to the next generation? See, there are some that referenced in the chapter of the Hall of Faith where you have David and Samson and Gideon and Daniel and, and there was some that, that saw the, the promises and the mighty deliverances of the Lord. But in verse 13, we hear about a people that saw the promise from afar and were entrusted with that promise so that they might pass that promise on to the next generation. See, I think we would all like for the promise to be worked out through us. Right? We'd all like to probably see what we would like to see in our generation come to pass. But sometimes we're just sowing seeds for another person to take up and run with the thing that God put in our heart. I think when God tells us something, the first mistake we make is we try to fulfill it in our own power. We think when God speaks something to us, that means he's given us permission to act any kind of way to get a hold of the thing that he's promised. And this happens all throughout the scripture. God speaks to Moses, you're going to be a deliverer. So he goes and kills somebody. And his people are like, man, I'm staying away from you. I thought I was a deliverer. All through the scriptures, we see this kind of pattern of God speaking to people things that, they're, that he wants to see come to pass in their life, and they step out and in the flesh try to accomplish something that God wants to do in the Spirit. And this is the heart of the scripture that we're talking about here. Because when God speaks a promise to us, I think what happens sometimes is we will insist on how that promise is going to come out. And when we insist on how that promise comes out, we'll create that promise into an idol. And then when it doesn't come to pass the way we think it's supposed to come to pass, we'll begin to get mad at God and we'll forget the promise altogether. And the Lord has a way of when He shares a promise with you, he wants to fulfill it in his own time and in his own way and in his own timing and in his way. So, so when God speaks something to you, he doesn't speak it to you to say, okay, now run and go fulfill this. Many times he speaks the promise to us and says, now I want you to stay faithful to me. I want you to stay in relationship with me. That's your duty is just to love me and then watch me bring it to pass. Because if you will do that, I will get all the glory and you'll get to see the hand of God in your life. Life, and you'll receive the best gift you could possibly have, and that's relationship with the Lord. So I just want to briefly recount the life of Jacob here and help us get up to speed to Genesis chapter 49, where we'll be looking at next. Now, Jacob was third in the lineage of Abraham. That's why we hear the stories. Uh, mentioned that God is described as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Jacob 
is Abraham's grandson. And we know the promise that Abraham got in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, where he said, I'm going to make of you a great nation. And the Bible says that in Abraham, that he was as good as dead. He was older. He was past childbearing years. His wife was the same way. And, and it was this picture of that God would call something uh, and call someone into a place to where only he could fulfill the thing that he was speaking over him. And so this was the promise that Abraham had got, that his descendants would be as multiple as the stars of heaven, that his descendants would be as multiple as the grain of sands on the sea. See, and here he is, an old man in this time. Now, Jacob was one of the sons of Isaac and Rebekah. And in Jacob's story, Jacob was favored by his mother, while Esau was favored by his father. But the mother gets a word in Genesis chapter 28 that said that the older is going to serve the younger. So immediately what happens is, is when Isaac is getting up in age and he's getting ready to pass on the blessing, which culturally and traditionally, it always would go to the older brother when that was beginning to work itself out. He tells his son Esau to go out and to uh, kill some game, make a stew, and then he was going to get the blessing. Well, the mother hears it, grabs Jacob... And as Jacob is, uh, is there, she tells him to uh, go and kill a goat and make a stew and make this stew and bring it to your father and put the skins of this goat on your arms where you'll be hairy like your brother and then you'll get the blessing and he won't be able to get the blessing and it'll happen just the way God said it was supposed to happen. Again, God doesn't need your help in order to fulfill what he says is going to happen, okay? So the mother hears that word from the Lord and thinks it's permission to do something sinful and evil and get out ahead of God. The Lord can speak to your heart about things, but if it's not God's timing, it'll always be the wrong thing. So Jacob puts the skins on and he goes in there with the stew. And then Esau, his, his, or his Isaac rather, is in a place where he can't see very well. So he's like, the voice is Jacob, but the hairy arms are Esau. And he gives him the blessing and passes on the blessing on to Jacob. Now something odd about Jacob is, is that Jacob means deceiver, supplanter. Uh, some scholars say that it means heel grabber. In other words, that Jacob was given this kind of identity from birth. That when Jacob was born, it, it says that, that as Esau was coming out as the firstborn, that Jacob had grabbed his heel in order to be pulled out with him. So he gets called Jacob or deceiver because he's trying to, it seems like, usurp his older brother's position and authority. But the reality is this, is that this happened while he was just a small child. But when we get slapped with labels... From an early age, when we get slapped with things that wasn't our fault, when we get slapped with things and called certain things, it seems that why would we be surprised if anything else happened out of the identity that we were given when it really wasn't Jacob's fault? It wasn't Jacob's idea to put those skins on and make that stew. It was his mom's idea. 
See, some of us have been wearing labels that have been put on us by parents that don't need to be there. That that was a false prophecy. And that you've empowered that lie by believing that lie and like it would always be that way. But that is not the glory of God on your life. That is not His promise for you. So here he is. Now his brother wants to kill him as his brother shows up. Finds out that he got the blessing. And Esau wants to kill Jacob. So Jacob has to flee and go to his uncle's land, uh, his uncle Laban's land. And as he's making his way through, he's tired, he's been running. And he lays his head down, and he goes to sleep on a rock. That's a bad day when you use a rock as a pillow. I think I'd have curled up my arm or something. But this was no accidental rock. Because he sleeps on this rock, and he has a dream. And in this dream, there's a ladder. What it really is is a ziggurat. What a ziggurat was was a stair step. And they would build this stair step, ladder type uh, monument. And then they would build a holy place down on the ground. And the idea was in the ancient civilizations is, is that we're going to call you down. And this is going to be a stair step symbolically for you to come down and to come and dwell within us. And bless us and give us our holy place and be with us and give us your favor. So he has this dream about this ziggurat, this this stair-step thing in heaven, and he sees angels ascending and descending. Is that he has this dream and realizes that there's a connection between heaven and earth, and that the plan of God is still going forward in his life. And so he gets a glimpse of this, and the Bible says that when he wakes up, he raises up the rock and pours out oil on it, and blesses that rock, and that rock becomes an altar. And the place is named Bethel, the house of God. But what he didn't realize is in Genesis, when Abraham was called, he built an altar and called it Bethel. While he was fleeing, he lays his head on grandpa's altar and has a dream about the grandpa's God. See, some of us think we've stumbled into this thing. I'm going to tell you something. There were some people praying for you. There were some people praying. There was connections made with God. And you thought you stumbled into it. But you laid your head in a hard place. And that hard place was an altar that somebody was praying on. And it ends up becoming your connection and your experience with God. And this is what he had experienced here. He had laid his head on Abraham's altar by accident. But what he ends up saying is is that he says I'm going to give a tenth of all I have to God because he's now he realizes that there's there's a connection here. But within that connection what he doesn't realize is who was at the top of that ladder or maybe at the bottom of the ladder. 
He understood there was a connection of blessing, but he really didn't know who it was that he was connected to. See, there comes a moment where grandpa's God can't be grandpa's God anymore. That grandpa's God has got to become your God. That dad's God and that his faithfulness and his relationship with the Lord is one thing, but it's got to become yours personally, and you've got to have your own connection with God. You've seen the blessings of God. You've seen God operate in people's lives. You know you've gotten enough to know that it's real. You felt his presence. He's marked your heart, but there comes a time in your life where you've got to quit living on history, and you've got to step into your own future and your own place with God and have a connection and make God your God that God promised Jacob that through him would come a great nation a company of nations but he was a man full of fears and anxiety just like us same human nature we got So he makes it to his uncle's house. Guess what he finds? A beautiful lady. Rachel, easy on the eyes. Come on now. He finds Rachel. And he tells Laban, I'll work seven years for that old gal. Took me two years for this one here, but I got her. (laughs) Cut some time off the contract with her father, but. (laughs) And Jacob says, I worked seven years. So he's probably thinking, I left the trickster stuff back in home with the goat skins and all that. Maybe here there won't be all this other stuff going on. So Jacob gets promised Rachel goes to bed that night and wakes up with Leah. He went to bed with one woman but woke up with another. I get amen, guys. All right, I'm in trouble. Pray for me. Are you embarrassed? It's all right, man. It's just a little humor. And so Jacob, not only does he get duped, he gets duped to work another seven years to get Rachel. And during that time, His wages are changed ten different times. 
Now he's found himself married to somebody he didn't want to be married to. And nothing's making sense in his life. So Jacob gets fed up. Worked faithfully. Worked his time. And says, I'm going to go back home. Now, you know it's bad when you want to leave an area to go back to a place where somebody wants to kill you. <laughs> that's, a tough, that's a rock and a hard place. He leaves the place. He's been swindled and duped and everything else, and the only place he's got to come back to is a place where somebody wants to kill him. So Jacob makes the journey back. And as Jacob's on his way, the one in which he was so attracted to and so in love with dies on the way. The one that he worked an extra seven years to. That Jacob's life is this twists and turns of Tragedy and disappointment. Now within this uh, time period, he's having sons. Having children. Remind you, the promise of God is still over on his life. You're just, I'm going to make a mighty nation out of you, just like Abraham. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And here he is with his family traveling back to meet a brother that he thinks is going to kill him. And so he sends all of these gifts and his family and sends them in waves to meet his brother Esau who's got wind that he's coming to town. And he gets by the river Jabbok He's distressed. He's discouraged. He's got a past that he really can't look back on and find anything good about. He's got a future that's uncertain because he don't know what he's stepping into. And he's got the promise of God looming overhead that he's trying to live up to. And just when you think it couldn't get any worse... God shows up and he starts wrestling. <laughs> wrestling with God. Now the Bible does it. We, don't, we can look back from the New Testament lens and kind of see this, that this angel of the Lord is probably Jesus. And that he's wrestling with Jesus. Now there's something I know about Jesus. When I'm in my weakest point and, and, and Jesus shows up, He's not trying to wrestle with me. 
But because he just understood something about angels ascending and descending and that he was just connected, but he didn't know who he was connected to. See, God doesn't just want to connect you to blessings. He wants to connect you to Himself. And if you never make that connection, it doesn't matter how blessed you are. You've got to be connected to Him. And so when Jesus shows up, He don't even recognize Him. So He starts fighting God when Jesus probably showed up to love on Him. And that's what happens with our life. God shows up to love on us and to comfort us. But we don't know what He looks like. And so we fight Him and say, Jesus, quit telling me what to do. Jesus, stay out of my life. I got this. I know who to date. I know who to marry. I know what to do. Leave me alone. I know what drugs to do. Leave me alone. And we fight with the one who's trying to love on us and bring us into relationship with Him. And that's why you're in the mess that you are in. You keep fighting with God, asking for His blessings, but you won't ask Him into your life for relationship with Him. That's why you're where you're at. You've preferred the blessings over the blesser. And when the blessing's not there, you're gone. When the position's not there, you're gone. And you might be in this room, but your heart's a million miles away. Y'all got me worked up, man. Let me settle. <laughs> settle back down. I need to do some cardio, man. I'm out of it. So here he is. Wrestling with Jesus. But then something happens. God finally says, I'm tired of fighting with you. I'm out of here. He interpreted a hug as two fists. And you've interpreted the hug of Jesus as two fists. And you've been fighting him. And Jesus is said, I'm done with this. I'm, I'm not going to fight with this guy no more. So he pulls out of there. Then Jacob does something else. He stops fighting and he starts clinging. I wish I had a church that knew good preaching when they heard it. <laughs> he quits fighting and starts clinging. And that's when God says, what do you want me to do? He says, bless me. Get this old identity off of my life. I've got to step into a new thing. and I can't be deceptive while I'm doing it. I can't keep doing things my way and get the blessing of God and it flow through my life. God, please change my name and give me your blessing. So when he quits fighting and starts clinging, God says, Israel, prince of my people, the promise of God is still going through your life, but you've got to quit fighting God and start clinging on to him. That's not even the good points. I just... That was in passing. Oh. 
So he gets the blessing and he leaves with a limp. That now he can't run anymore. He can't rely on his own wits to get what he wants. He's got to uh, trust in God's strength. Oh man, thanks. You're a jewel. Get me a membership at a gym or something. I got exposed today. <laughs> so now when we read our scripture, he's coming to the end of his days. That he makes it into the promised land. But while he's in the promised land, guess what happens? Famine. Come on, it's retirement time. He should be able to kick his feet up. Hadn't he went through enough? Hadn't he been through enough? Now there's famine in the land, and guess what? The only place there's food is pagan Egypt. So now, Jacob has to pack up and leave the promised place to go to a pagan nation just so that he can survive. And the Bible says that with him were 66 souls. Do you remember the promise? Your descendants will be as many as the stars in the sand. And here he is, third generation of the promise, and he's got 66 souls. And most of them a great disappointment. Reuben laid with one of his concubines, that's his oldest son. Simeon and Levi got together and killed a whole people group. It's a mess. Absolute mess. So here he is, old in age, headed to Egypt. But when he gets to Egypt, he realizes something. A son that had been sold in slavery by his other knucklehead boys <laughs> has risen to the cream of the crop in Egypt. That it wouldn't be a pagan's hand that he would be eating out of. That it would be his own lineage that would be handing him resources and be blessing him. See, you don't know what you're going into. I know you've already determined it in your mind. And Jacob had probably already determined in his mind what he was coming into. But he didn't understand that he had a son that God had been protecting and had been watching over and had been promoting him and putting him in places of power so that he would be not eating out of a pagan's hand, but be eating out of his own lineage would be providing for him. So as he gets to Egypt, he calls his sons together to begin to bless him. And we know he doesn't want to be there because he says, you better load my bones up and bury me back at the place where I'm supposed to be. 
I don't want to be here. So now, he has an encounter with Pharaoh. And what he says to Pharaoh is shocking. In Genesis 47, 9, he says, Few and evil have my days been on the earth. The word evil there means of inferior quality. That he's in Egypt saying, my days have been inferior. And evil and few have been these days. And his heart was hit with despair. But he leaves his own country because of hardships. And finds himself in a place where he doesn't feel at home. But in Hebrews 11.21, it says that he leaned upon his staff and worshipped. So what did he see in his final days? Genesis 49, he begins to call his sons together. Verse 1. And Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Gather yourselves together and hear, ye sons of Jacob, and hearken unto Israel your father. Now he starts speaking out and prophesying. Verse 3, Reuben, thou art my firstborn. My might in the beginning of my strength and the excellency of, my, of dignity and the excellency of power. Listen to what he says, verse 4. Unstable as water thou shalt not excel. Because thou wentest up to thy father's bed, then, thou, then defiledest thou it. He went up to my couch. He begins to recount his legacy, he begins to recount his sons. And he says, this one's unstable as water. Something about water is if you put a block in front of it, it'll fill up. But then once it gets to that block, it'll pour around and go somewhere else. And there's really no way to stop it. It just keeps going. He's saying, you're as unstable. It doesn't matter what block I put in front of you, you find a way to circumvent it and go somewhere else. Verse 5, he says, Simeon and Levi are brethren, instruments of cruelty are their habitations. O oh, my soul, come not thou into their secret, unto their assembly. Mine honor be thou united, for in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they dig down a wall. Wow. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. <laughs> Verse 7, cursed be their anger, for it was fierce, and their wrath, for it was cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. But then something happens when he gets to Judah. Something of his eyes were opened to a greater day and a blessing when he gets to Judah. In verse 8, he says, Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. 
Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp from the prey, my son. Thou art gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion. And as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be, binding his foal unto the vine, and his, I'm not going to say that, colt unto the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine, and his clothes in the blood of grapes. That he basically sees that when it comes to Judah. He sees that through Judah there's going to be this man by the name of Jesus that's going to set the sins of the world away from the world. There's going to be a lamb that's going to come. And when he saw that, he realized that the promises of God, despite his deficiencies, despite his weaknesses, despite his anxieties, that the promises of God were still going through his life despite all the things that he was going through personally. If it all depended upon you, what hope do you really got? Yeah, that's right. Thank you. See, sometimes victory looks a lot like endurance. Remember in the New Testament, Revelation, John in the Isle of Patmos. It's in a prison island. He's in his 90s. Followed Jesus faithfully since he was a teenager. And now he's in his 90s in prison for serving the Lord. But the Bible says something interesting in the book of Revelation. It says that John got in the spirit on the Lord's day. It would have probably been easy for John to not get in the spirit while he was in prison. But he gets in the spirit on the Lord's day and God gives him the revelation of the conquering Christ that's going to topple every empire and set up his kingdom on the earth and becomes the last book of the Bible. John probably felt like maybe he failed and like there was no hope. But scripture says on the Lord's day he got in the spirit. Do you know what that means? That means despite his circumstances, he chose to worship. You want to know a hell-defeating strategy? Despite your circumstances, just choose to worship. And suddenly you're going to be translated into the Spirit and God will give you a vision about a greater day ahead in your life. No matter what my natural eyes see in here, God is greater than what I can see. When your heart condemns you, the Bible says God is greater than your heart. Quit giving your heart precedence over the heart of God. Jude, verse 24, says this. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. That God can present you without stumbling in the presence of the glory of God. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, and I'm sure of this, 
that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. See, John saw that God is still on the throne and he's still riding in victory. He saw the one that's faithful and true. Closing with this in Revelation 21, verse 1 through 5. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them and He will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. You need to write this down. Jesus is making all things new. Jesus is making all things new. Think about scripture where he says he's going to dry every tear. And you know what I used to see when I saw that? I used to see like this giant towel that just at one time like wipes everybody's tear. But you know what I think he's going to do personally? Come up to each and every person. Say, I saw. Say, I know you were hurting. I know you were weak. But I saw your heart. And I saw that you still wanted me above all else. And he's going to wipe every tear and he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And we might be crying like, oh God, you're too glorious. God, you're too glorious. You can't come this close to me. And Jesus is going to come close anyway and he's going to dry those tears. He's going to comfort every heart. He's going to say, I saw where you were at. I saw where you were hurting. I saw where you were depressed. I saw where you were broken, but you didn't give up. You hung on to me. You clung to me. And the blessing of God was still going through your life. And then he's probably going to show you a host of people that saw your example, that saw the little things that you had done that you didn't even know that you were doing. And they saw it and it led them to the Lord. He's going to say, because of you, look what happened here. Look at the people that were drawn to me. Look at the people that were affected by your life. You thought the promise wasn't going through your life anymore. But the promise of God was still moving. I was still using you. I was still in the middle of every single part of your life. See, there's still a Judah in you. There's still a king in you. There's still a king in you. I know you've blown it. You know how I know you've blown it? 
Because I've blown it. There's still a king in you. There's still a king in you. Don't let the devil lie to you and keep you in a prison of despair. There's still a Judah in you that the devil can't do nothing about. (laughs) Because it's not about you, it's about the one flowing through you. It's a story about the people of God coming into their land, and so they recruit this man of God named Balak to curse the people of God as they're coming into the place. But every time the king brings him up to curse the people of God, he can't do anything but bless them. (laughs) And I think that's how the devil is, is he wants to step over us and curse us, but when we're in Christ, he's got no choice but to submit to the blessing. He's got no choice but to submit to the thing that God's doing in our life. And so Balaam gets brought up and he's going to curse the people of God. And every time he just rattles off this giant blessing. And the king gets mad. Why do you keep doing this? I'm paying you to curse them. He's like, man, I can't. God's hands on them. They're so blessed I can only create blessings for them. But there's a scripture in there that stuck out to me. It's in Numbers chapter 23 verse 21 that says this. He has not beheld the misfortune in Jacob, nor has he seen trouble in Israel. The Lord their God is with them, and the shout of a king is among them. They didn't even have a king, but there was a shout of a king in their hearts. And you might not feel like you've got a king or you've got any power, but I want to tell you something. There's a king on the inside of you. There's a shout on the inside of you that needs to come out. And you need to be reminded that there is a Judah in you, that the plans of God are still flowing through you. And in this season of your life, you've got to be faithful. You can't throw in the towel. And when you don't throw in the towel, God picks up the towel and He dries your tears with the same towel that you wanted to throw in. Would you stand to your feet with me?